It's been a while since you put me on the shelf. I know you've been distracted by somebody else. It's been a while, but that's all right, you see. And I'll be right here waiting when you want to play again with me. Hello everyone and welcome to the inaugural episode of Cult of the Old. Each episode, I and my fellow hosts are going to dive into the tabletop gaming past. We're going to turn back the release schedule at least 10 years to look at games that were setting tables ablaze in the dim and distant past of a whole decade ago. Over the course of this season, the games we are going to cover will still be available to play, either because they have become evergreen titles, that's they're always available at retail, or they are accessible through a legal digital means, like Board Game Arena. But it's not just me on this cast, let's get our fellow hosts in. Uh, I have Matt Thrower here, how are you doing Matt? I'm good, thank you very much, very pleased to be here. Can you tell us a wee bit about yourself? Of course, yeah, I've been... Uh, I've been writing and reviewing board games, writing about and reviewing board games for the last 15 years or so, uh, and I've been playing them for my whole life. Awesome. And we're also joined by Nate Owens. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing great, Ian. How are you? Very good. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, I started writing about games around 2011, 2012, and uh, don't do a whole lot of it these days, but I still love talking about them, especially talking about old games. Fantastic. And I am Ian McAllister. I'm the host, one of the co-hosts of the Brainways podcast, which is a tabletop news show. And I am the main writer on The Giant Brain, which is reviews of board games and that kind of thing. And I also write for, well, a lot of our works on There Will Be Games as well. So in this cast, what we're doing is we're looking back into the past of board games. And we are going to start with the game colloquially called Misery Farm, otherwise known as Agricola, one of the early board games from now very well-regarded designer Uwe Rosenberg. So who wants to give me a one-minute breakdown of Agricola and what it's all about? I'm up for that. Excellent. So in Agricola, players represent uh, a household of farmers. They start off with a small wooden house uh, and some limited field space, and they have to use their workers, which are farmers, to do things like plant crops, dig wood, get clay, uh, and then use those things to upgrade their house, get bigger fields, breed animals. Then at the end of each season, the game is broken down into, into seasons. Uh, they have to feed their family uh, with, the, with the food that they've grown. Um, otherwise, they have to take begging cards. Um, and as the game progresses, more and more actions become available uh, and you can start to bring in things from your hand. You start with a hand of cards of, it, of improvements and trades that you can use your resources to sort of like boost and optimise your engine. And the idea is to get to the end of the four seasons uh, with the most points from having things like uh, fully developed fields, uh, land enclosures, a stone house and lots of animals. Fantastic. Three seconds to go. Very good. Excellent. Even the fact that I didn't prep that at all in my head, that's not too bad. I, I was totally on the spot. <laughs> just went with what the verbal diarrhea that vomited forth. I live my whole life in verbal diarrhea, Matt. You'll be fine. <laughs> Feels like you should be on a t-shirt or something. That's right. It probably is. Everything is. Everything that's worth being on a t-shirt is in a t-shirt somewhere. It's just a question of finding it, isn't it, really? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Mm. 
Agricola originally came out in 2007 from Lookout Games. And arguably the game that made Uwe Rosenberg a major designer, guys? What do you think? I think he's the. You can't argue with him that he, he it made him a major designer, but you've got to remember that he was already a, a well known name when he released this, thanks to Bonanza. Uh, oh, of course, yeah. You know, back in those days, there were far fewer games to play, and, and everybody had heard of the big titles, and Bonanza certainly counts among those. It's it's a little hard to to remember this now, but uh, Bonanza was one of the gateway titles in the mid two thousands, and even as even as early as the nineties. It was along there with something like Catan, Ticket to Ride, Carcassonne, and it really doesn't have that same status anymore. It's still in print. It's still played. But the thing about Uwe Rosenberg is that he was known for small card games. And the thing about Agricola is that this completely changed who he was in the mind of gamers because he's made some small games since this. But really, the big, heavy worker placement game has really been his bread and butter since 2007. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, so it was originally published by Lookout Games. And you were saying to me, Nate, just before I came on, that it kind of made Zedman Games' name as well, because they were the United States publisher for it. Yeah. And it, this is, boy, this is a long time ago. And I'm pulling on my very early days in the hobby here. Uh, but in 2007, when this game landed at uh, Essen, it was, it was a big deal. It made a lot of waves, but it didn't, it, it wasn't clear that it would get an English translation because we're going to discuss as we go forward here, discuss the idea of all the cards that are in this game. It, sure. it required an enormous amount of translation. And what was really remarkable about, about uh, Agricola was that people imported the game and made their own paste-ups, you know, using stickers on the board and card sleeves and all this kind of stuff. And the game managed to get in the top 10 of Board Game Geek, I think, before it was ever in English, which is a really, I, I, I might be misremembering, it's been 15 years now, but that's a that's a pretty remarkable achievement. And when uh, I'm going to say Z-Man games out of a <laughs> out of habit here, um, okay. <laughs> when they, when they got the English, that right, yeah, when they got the English distribution rights, it was a really kind of a big deal because they were around. They'd been doing things for a year or two, but they weren't um, considered a major player in the same way that like Rio Grande games was, for example. Sure at the time. So I, I think it really kind of made Z-Man games, it, it kind of put them on the map. And you got to remember the English edition came out almost around just within a couple months of uh, Pandemic being released by them as well. And so 2008 was a really big year for them. I think it's worth um, mentioning as well, actually, we, we did do a bit of research on this. Uh, and and in 2014, I found a stat, uh, I think it was from a German interview that you did, uh, that it had sold about sixty thousand copies uh, over the over that seven year period from two thousand seven to two thousand fourteen. What I find interesting about that, given what we've just been talking about, is how impactful, how hugely impactful this game was, uh, and how enormously popular it was. Yet, by modern standards, compared to something like Wingspan, say, yeah. that's not a lot of copies. It's yeah. really not in the in the sort of modern where we're talking like in the millions of copies for like really big titles like like Wingspan, like you mentioned there, Matt. Also, also need to mention a couple of things. The artist was uh, Clemens Franz. I'm not a great fan of the art in Agricola. I know some people like it, but it's it's got a certain style to it for sure. I like it. What do you like about it, Matt? I I think it has um, just the right balance of kind of cartoonishness and and realism because i mean you mentioned the the strap line there if you like misery farm this could be a <laughs> grim looking game if you're not careful yeah. because 
It is a game, and I'm sure we'll discuss this later, in which you can literally starve and be forced to beg on the streets. And it oh yeah, is... imagine it with realistic art. Oh, exactly. Oh, exactly. yeah, no. But likewise, imagine it with with sort of like you know just just bright, colourful, cartoonish art, the kind of stuff that graces fantasy games, superhero games, all that, all that kind of stuff. It wouldn't work either. So I, I actually really like it. I think it strikes just that that perfect balance of uh, of just serious enough and just not too serious. Fair enough. I mean, my home group don't really like sort of the German style of board game design, like like Agricola. So like when I, if you like put Agricola on the table with that art on the front cover and said, hey, it's a game about subsistence farming, I would get nowhere with that at all. I mean, I am playing it more now and we'll come back to my thoughts on, on Agricola later. But yeah, it, I, I would just never get anywhere with my local group. It's one, I don't know how many awards. I had a look at the BTG page today. A lot of awards. Most notably, it won the Spiel Diara Kennerspiel uh, winner in 2008. That's the sort of, it's, I've seen it interpreted in multiple ways, the connoisseur game or the sort of expert game, however you want to think about that. It's like the sort of the gamer's game award for the, for the Spiel Diara. So that, it won that in 2008. Yeah, as I understand it, it was um, the, the Kennerspiel award is is sort of a way to acknowledge dense hobby games that don't yeah. really stand a chance of winning the main award I, I i wanted to touch back on the art real quick because there was something there, there's something about it that i find really nostalgic it reminds me of a day when european games would arrive in the u.s and they would just have these these bizarrely ugly covers <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, i'm thinking of games like Kalis, which just like it's just the scowling prints on the cover and it like you look at it and you think why would anyone play this and there's a certain kind of homeliness by which i mean kind of you know low-key uh, ugly quality to agricola there's like yeah. the sheep on the cover that looks a little misshapen if you're looking at the original original english edition but one of the things you need to really remember about at that time that art really really stood out from other heavy euros the kind of euros that were in this weight class, stuff like Princes of Florence, things like Puerto Rico, these games were like various pastels and shades of brown. And here's this game that arrives that looks really colorful, really bright. And as Matt said, it's thematically kind of a heavy game, but it, it makes the game look a little more welcoming, even in its uh, in its kind of homely quality that it has. And so I think it, it it really stood out visually in 2007, 2008, because games of this class did not look like this. Well, let's talk a little bit about the influences on Agricola itself, like what, what Uwe Rosenberg was maybe playing and what was influencing him at the time. Because I'll admit, like, I... I've got a little sort of love-hate relationship with this style of board game design. I've been liking them a lot more now uh, as, as I've gone a bit older and my local group doesn't like them, but I've been playing more of this kind of thing on Board Game Arena and that kind of thing with some of the members of the, the Giant Brain Discord and I've been really quite enjoying them. But I wasn't really there at the time for Agricola. I, I, I kind of dismissed it. It wasn't my kind of game. So what sort of game, What, in your opinion, guys, what sort of games led up to Agricola becoming a thing? Well, certainly a really big influence is one I mentioned earlier, and that's Kalis. Kalis was a was a really big deal when it came out in 2005. It made it at least in the top five of BGG. Uh, I couldn't tell you where it peaked, but it was somewhere in there. And it was um, it was it made a lot of waves. But Kalis is a really kind of a weird game. I don't know if have you either of you ever played it. 
I've, I've played Kalos, yeah. I've okay. heard of it only by reputation as one of the meanest games ever made. Just it has a... horribly mean. <laughs> like, if you make a mistake early on, that's it, you're done. Yeah, it, it has a real confrontational streak in it, but there's a couple of things that are interesting about Kalos. First of all, it really featured this worker placement idea where you'd take a guy, you'd put him on a spot on the board, and you would get something. Now, th there was a... You know, it had some differences. One of the things that was really notable about it is it had like this road. And as you'd go down the road, uh, you would resolve them all in order, which is different from Agricola, which when you put a guy on the board, you get whatever resource or whatever action, you get that immediately. And so that was kind of a real change it had. It was also, Kalos was a long game. Even with two people, it would take a good two hours. And as you added people, it would go to like, three three and a half hours i know people who say like it you could play it with five people but you should never play it with five people <laughs> but it's really obvious that was kind of the first when we look at worker placement games kalos is often cited as like the first one it's not i mean it is cited, but that, that, that's just categorically wrong depending on how you define worker placement it's got to either be bus or keydom i've never played either of those so i can't comment but i was going to mention keydom as being a, an influence on this because agricola certainly was among the first the earlier worker placement yeah. games um and and i don't doubt you know while it took a lot of influence from Kalos, that I, I think it probably did take inspiration from keydom as well yeah and there's other uh you know worker placement is kind of the most common heavy euro mechanic these days For sure, yeah. it's it's a just a very standard one, but at the time it was still kind of a novelty in the mid-aughts. And another one that uh, we, this would probably be more appropriate for lighter worker placement games, but uh, P uh, Pillars of the Earth came out around that same time. And that was a same kind of thing where things would you put a guy there and he would get something. And that one was a little different because that actually had multiple workers. As I recall, Kalis, you just have the one guy, but I might be mis... Boy, it's been a long time. I might be misremembering. <laughs> That's right. I mean, my, my experience of worker placement games is very light. I mean, the only one in my collection is Lords of War Deep. That's about as light, that's about as heavy, I should say, yeah. as my group can take in terms of worker placement. I played more than that. I played things like um, Lancaster was probably one of the early ones that I played and, and quite enjoyed. Uh, Agricola, I remember playing at Mate's House just before Dragon Meat one year and not really liking it very much, but we'll come back to that. Uh, but I've been playing quite a bit, I've played quite a bit of Feast Road in the last year or so, which is another Uwe Rosenberg title and a I've quite enjoyed quite all that, and that obviously Agricola has influence on in that because it's the same designer. Yeah, let's get back to like the release at the time. So, every game, poor gaming is ticking along, Kalos is out, and then Uwe Rosenberg goes, boom, here's Agricola at Essen. What sort of, how did that sort of shake up the hobby at the time? Because I, I wasn't really aware at the time of, of what was going on. I think the, the biggest thing that Agricola did really is, or, or the most extraordinary thing about it, and, and Nate touched on this earlier, is the speed with which it came out of nowhere, propelled by nothing other than word of mouth, and just reached the, the top of, of everybody's charts. You know, it, it, this is a game that had no, didn't come from a major publisher, didn't even come in an English edition, uh, had no major marketing push. Because let's not forget, you know, th w w this is a time when, Companies like, oh, I'm trying to remember the people who, Days of Wonder, that's the word I'm looking for, Days of Wonder. And, and, you know, there were some quite slick marketing companies even back in those days. And um, it had none of that behind it, none of that at all. And yet still, 
Um, it swept up everybody in its wake and, and just received enormous critical acclaim and, 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 and numbers uh, off the back of, of no effort. You know, it, it's just, it was just that people were that enthusiastic about it. Yeah. The, the also the scale of this game was unprecedented at the time by the by which I mean just what comes in the box or what came in the box in 2007 2008 it had 300 cards in the box the current edition doesn't have that the current edition I, I think they've scaled it way down they've lowered the player count and there's a lot of reasons why you'd want to do that but at the time this game it wasn't it was like the game came with its own expansion in the box which was you know, it, it like two or three expansions worth of cards were just wham knocked in this big box, uh, and that was that was really something new. This is pre Kickstarter. This is before you know expansions would come out on the same day, and you wouldn't have a game that had this much you know, this much expanse to it. One thing I really remember when this came out was at the time. This is a website that no longer exists, but BoardGameNews.com had a really long. A uh, report from Essen by Dale Yu, who now writes for Opinionated Gamers. Maybe he'll hear this someday. But he wrote a really long, it had to be 5,000 word uh, essay on this brand new game that came out of Essen by the guy who made Bonanza. And he was talking about just, it was a very detailed rundown about the game. And it's the same way I heard about Dominion a year later when that game came out, which is just something that had really splashed at Essen uh, written by someone on this particular site. And it was just one of these things where a lot of people were saying, wow, when's this going to come to the U.S.? And it was, like I said, it was an open question whether it would be translated into English. Do you, do you remember the year when it came over? Like when, when Z Man Games picked up at all? I played it in summer of 2008 in the U.S. I don't so know when pretty, it hit, you, pretty quick after it came out then. So Yeah, it, it didn't get picked up at Essen. Like it was a, it was like... Because Essen happens in like November, and it was like by the end of the year, we knew that Z-Man Games was going to be making it. I guess that's maybe an artifact of the fact there were less games coming out then. Because I'm just thinking of like, for instance, Cryptid was up for the Spiel des Jahres this year, and that came out in like 2020, 2019 or something like that. So it took a long time for it to be translated into German. But I guess the trans the quicker translation is just an artifact of the fact there were just less games coming out there, and there were less properties yeah. for publishers to get, engage with. Yeah. And I, again, this is something I, I wish I'd had my, I, th this was a foolish thing to not do. I should have brought the game and sit here and look at the instructions. <laughs> I, believe, I believe most of the translation was done by fans, by people wow. who had had a lot, who, who had just like bought the game at Essen, knew enough German because they'd been doing enough, hmm. you know, games, you know, bringing games from Essen before. And that this was, you know, they, hey, they, we did most of this already. So the translation work was kind of done even like as the as the rights were getting signed over like this is 15 years ago i think this is more just what i understand there's not always a lot of documentation on this stuff so i might be wrong i think another thing that's that's quite interesting in and, and my recollections again 15 years may be wrong here but what i remember is that there was very little dissent in terms of opinions um and this is in the day when there was uh you know people the people who were in board game criticism played everything, you know, because the market was smaller. So big titles, you could you could quite easily you know pick them up, play them, and, and offer your opinion. Um, but even given that diversity of voices, there was very little dissenting opinion that that it was worth playing. Some people thought it was great, some people thought it was good. Very few people thought it was bad. 
or not worthwhile. Um, and even back then, I think that was quite a rarity. I, I was going to ask what the critical reception was like, because it certainly seemed to be universally loved at the time to me. I mean, it's fallen out of favour a little bit over time, maybe, but that's because there's a lot more games now. But that's what we're trying to do here, isn't it? Is is give some of these games, you know, an elevation of voice because I, I mean, we're going to talk about this later. But I think I think there are some interesting reasons and some good reasons why it got such universal acclaim. Don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but I also think that it's it's it holds up pretty well. So Agricola makes this massive splash at the time. Uh, it's critically acclaimed. There are a bunch of sort of ex- are there expansions and that kind of thing forthcoming after, straight after it? Are there are there lots of games suddenly influenced by it that are trying to come out quickly to sort of ride the wave of Agricola's fame? I think the first big expansion, which was Farmers on the Moor, it didn't come out for a couple of years. Uh, I want to say 2009, 2010, which now that I say that now, that's a really long time to wait for an expansion <laughs> compared <laughs> to how things work today. These days, if a game comes out and it's successful, you expect within like, a month or two to hear that an expansion is coming out if it wasn't already released as a part of a crowdfunding campaign. Yeah, uh, quick quick Google on Board Game Geek says 2009 for Farmers of the Mer. Okay, so that's still a long, that's a yeah. long layoff for the game to not, to just be the base game. Like that's, yeah. that's a pretty, uh, that's just not how it's done anymore. I mean, was that an artifact of there being so much in the box? Like you said, like there was so much content in that original box. Possibly. And I, again, there's, there's people who are more qualified to remember the history than I am, but I I believe there was talk that, oh, there will likely be an expansion. And again, at the time, just games, Euro games, especially like these kind of stayed low luck, which this isn't really that low luck, but those kind of games just, they, they weren't heavily expanded. Uh, You think of stuff like Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico was like, that's a 20 year old game now. It had one little expansion that was like an alternate set of buildings, I want to say. And that came out, it might have come out near to it, but it wasn't this like, you didn't just keep on having this treadmill of content that would keep being produced for it. Um, but this is really when we're seeing games be, be made with the treadmill in mind. Uh, this is around the same time as Race for the Galaxy, I think came out the same year. And Race for the Galaxy was one of those games that we knew up front that the game would have expansions. Uh, the next year was Dominion. Dominion is its own industry. I mean, that's what keeps real brand <laughs> going well, right? Um, and that game just blasted expansions really, really fast. I mean, uh, a, so, a, a terrible confession from a board game critic: I have never played Dominion. Oh, that might I've be played a lot. I, I, I'm, I'm sure it will be, but I've, I've played a lot of obviously it's deck building children, the, or grandchildren, or great grandchildren, however you want to look at them. But yeah, I've never actually played Dominion. Yeah. So this one stayed, it stayed in the eye for a long time. And I don't think it over, like, cause it took number one on board game geek for a, a period of time and it didn't happen for a while. It took a, a year or so for it to happen. Sure. It's had a bunch of sort of like mini expansions of the course of the years as well. It's like, like card decks, yeah. that kind of thing as well. And there was a two player version of the game called all creatures, great, all creatures, big and small in 2012. Mm-hmm. Have you played yeah. that at all? I've not I played haven't. that. I've I've always been a bit baffled by it because Agricola as a game plays perfectly well with two players. I, I don't really know why <laughs> why they felt the need to put a two player uh, a two player version of that. And in fact, it's interesting to to go back to what you were saying, Nate. I think um, really I am surprised. I don't know the sales numbers, obviously, but I'd be surprised. I've never that that 
the expansions of the game ever got much time um, because I've never played one. I've never known anybody play one. There is so much content in the base game of the, the original edition that you can just soldier on with that for, for years and years and years. And don't forget, this is, as we've discussed, this is a, a fairly long game. This is like an hour and a half, two hour game. And um, not something you're going to whip out and play over and over again on a Saturday sure. afternoon with, when your family come around for tea. So that's a lot of content to get through. And if they wanted an expansion to some extent, it's perhaps shot itself into the foot a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, the expansion. I've not played Farmers in the Moor, and it was partially because of what Matt said. Like there was so much in the box. I, I didn't like I was exploring content that I had for three years still at the time. And, yeah, you don't play it. It's not you know, it's not a really fast game. It takes a little while to play. Uh, one thing about Farmers on the Moor, it, again, as someone who's not played it, this is more what I understood. Uh, it, it didn't use the cards in the same way. It, it, it didn't revolve around things like the minor improvements in the occupation. To me, that was like, well, that's the whole point of the game for me. That was why that was why I enjoyed the game. And while there's a lot of interesting, the you know, watching the tumblers fall into place and watching the kind of the, the game take shape mechanically, the cards really made it for me. And so I didn't I never was super drawn to the expansion myself. You do mention the other decks, though. And one thing I remember about the first USA edition from Z-Man or Z-Man games had a Z deck. <laughs> it had a deck that was only for people who bought the Z-Man version. And it was okay. I mean, it was it wasn't more than like I think ten or fifteen cards, maybe. But it was there were some cute cards in there and some stuff that was kind of unusual and some light controversy on Board Game Geek whether some cards were too silly or whether some cards were unbalanced. You know, this was, but that that kind of thing kept happening. There were other you know promotional decks and things like that. That kind of stuff just was coming out left and right. I couldn't give you a list of all of those because there's so there's many. A, there's a massive list on Board Game Geek. I remember looking at it a few days ago while we were putting together the doc for this cast. There's there's something listed like 20 different expansions at the very least, including all the, the individual decks. I guess that's a very easy thing to do as well. It's very easy to produce like another sort of 10, 15 cards for a thing. And just like have them exclusively at this convention if you come to our stall or whatever. That that's a very easy bit easy bit of marketing for someone to do. I was just gonna say not not and keep them balanced, which I think is is an important thing to observe because this is a bit of a problem with micro mm. expansions for a game like Agricola. Um that the, sure. there were a lot of concerns about randomness and balance because the, the this is a game that attracted people that don't like much randomness in games. You know, uh, beyond the initial card deal, there, there's none, really. But that initial card deal was big. It has a big influence on your game plan and the way your game unfolds. And uh, we all know now that that original edition wasn't terribly balanced. And you can imagine that in the rush to print promos, you can quite easily upset that, uh, you know, or, or cause further issues. So that's an interesting point to go on to like the revised edition. There was a new edition published in 2016. And it's my understanding that it basically sort of took everything that had been published for Agricola, like especially all the extra cards and that kind of thing, and sort of pared everything down quite a lot. It, it, it went from five, five player max to four player max. And it's also got less cards as well. So, and it's the version that you'll now play on Board Game Arena. There's a version of Agricola available on Board Game Arena. We've the three of us played it before we decided to do this cast. Now I'm playing a async version right now, quite slowly, doing okay, maybe, not sure. Uh, who knows? Hard to tell, about halfway through. Might do all right. 
who knows uh, but so yeah there's a much more pared down version have you got uh, do you guys own the original version or do you own like the revised edition have you played the different versions at all i've i've own the original uh, and and I've sure. played the revised version on on board game arena again I am not aware of any dissenting voices that the revised edition is an improvement um, as we touched on earlier I don't think Agricola particularly is a game you should play with five uh, necessarily it's going to lead to a lot of downtime between turns so I don't think sure. that, that extra players you, you're going to miss a great deal I'm kind of fascinated and this just isn't about Agricola as to how one goes about taking a deck with uh, sorry a game with hundreds of cards and balancing those, you know, pairing them, finding the ones that are balanced and getting rid of them. How on earth do you actually go go about that exercise? That's that's quite extraordinary to me that somebody's managed that Ui and, and, and presumably he had help and um, managed to do that, uh, you know, apparently with, with such success. Um, so yeah. it's down to about 100 cards now, I think, in two different decks, a, a basic and an expert deck. Uh, that's still a lot of variety uh, when each player gets seven. Um, you've now got the uh, animeeples, you know, farm-shaped meeples as opposed to just cubes, uh, which obviously is a huge upgrade because that was a real cottage industry. It's, it, I, I mean, everybody's yes. always liked to pimp their games, but Agricola is the thing that really sent that through the roof. And this yes, is before it did. there were things like Etsy and 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 don't you know not on the high street where you can buy home crafted stuff. People were like you know sourcing and selling. Cow meeples and pig meeples and whatnot and and all the spits for Agricola. People um, meeting up in dark alleyways to to exchange pig meeples for cubes and things like that. <laughs> or um, or you could do what I did, which is win your Anna meeples in a dice tower contest. Well, so, look at you. Are I you know, special? <laughs> I know. I that's my that's my uh, memento of a of a momentary uh drop of fame right there uh, the thing about the the card rebalance so it's not just that the cards were rebalanced they have the 300 cards somewhere in the game now and in fact if you look on board game uh board game arena you'll see there's a recent announcement as of the recording of this episode that says oh we now have like 300 cards in agricola <laughs> they th those those cards were not just rebalanced and just taken out because oh those cards are busted they were taken out to package with expansions just as okay. the five and six player, there's a five and six player expansion either out or in, you know. Yeah, it's available. Um, it was 2016 that came out, the five and six player expansion. Okay. Oh, yeah, I this, see. Uh, right, okay. So they, so they repackaged everything. They basically split it apart. And, oh, okay. Interesting. You have to really want to play Agricola to play with five or six people. Like, yeah. that's, that's not, it's not just the length of time, although it is, it can be interminable. Um, I've, I've done it a couple times. It's pretty fun because I, I just like the game a lot, as we'll talk about later. But it's not just the time. It's like the amount of options that are sure. out there. It's just the sort of thing you're like, well, I don't know what the, the guy playing blue is doing. He's on the other side of the table. I can't see his cards. I'm sure he's not breaking any rules. I'll just assume that it's good from there. And the way they balance the cards is actually they'd use, again, they farmed it out to the online community. There's a um, website, I want to say it's playagricola.com, and I'm sure Ian's going to pull it up now as I say that, but they had had I a long, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'd had a long, you know, years, I, I guess this had been in the process of let's look at the cards, rebalance them, tweak them. And it looks like of cards that were actually removed, there weren't more than a few. And so if someone wanted to, had a first edition, uh, I have a first U.S. edition myself, bought it just as it came out in 2008. Uh, if you really wanted to play it like the current edition, you could take those those cards out. 
I don't know what those cards would be. I couldn't, I, I can barely name most of the cards in the game. It, there's just so many of them, but that's an option you have. If you, if that's something you really want to do. I think it's a testament to the, to the game that there was enough of a community and an appetite to do this. For sure. Uh, so this is a game, you know, in 2016, it was really nearly 10 years old. Uh, and yet they went to the effort of revising this enormous stack of cards um, via a, a fan community and putting out a new a new edition of it, which is still in print today. You know, this this is a game that that that's, that's remained in print on largely since it was released in two thousand and seven. We're we're saying we launched this podcast partly because we think that games this old deserve more attention. But you know, this has stayed in print. People aren't talking about it, but I guess people must still be buying it and playing it. Do you think like we, so? We've talked about like sort of the accessory side of Agricola, the community side of Agricola. Do you think like this is one of the sort of early games that really fired up the board game community for that that side of it? The sort of like the stuff that happens outside of board games, the sort of communities that come together to play these games and like make accessories and make uh, fan expansions and that kind of thing. Do you think that was, this is one of the early games that really fired up that community and got it going? I think it perhaps introduced that concept to the to the German style game crowd because let's not forget that th- that what you're describing is just everyday bread and butter for people who play miniatures games. That's uh, true. And, That's and true. there has yep. always been an element of miniatures gaming or the miniatures gaming mindset in in war games, in uh, you know more American style games, in more combative fantasy style games because the crossover obviously is huge. But it was not done, I don't think, to any great degree um, in German-style games uh, prior to Agricola. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think it more it more rode the wave. Uh, it, if it hadn't been this game, I think it might have been another one. But this one just happened to play into it pretty well. Uh, you could, you know, the it had pieces that were easy to replace. Like, they weren't some abstract thing. It's like, oh, hey, this token, this orange token is a vegetable. And if you just make a little wooden carrot, it just slots right in. And uh, the form factor is still really easy when you do that sort of thing. And so if it hadn't been this, I think it would have been something else. But I, I, I think Matt's right. There's a lot of customization that was already going on before this. Uh, this is just the first time we saw it in this kind of game. I think we've talked quite a lot about the sort of impact of the time let's talk about our sort of own impressions of the game uh i mean i'll, I'll start with me because i basically just missed agricola quite hard the first time i encountered it i was just like this is i was bored i'll, I'll be honest I, I was i was kind of bored by it um I, i've never been like a massive fan of the sort of german style especially work placement heavy games they've never really gelled my group so i don't get a huge chance to really experiment or play with them I have to say in later years, uh, I'm 42 now, and I've like played a bunch more new, uh, bunch of games on Board Game Arena. I discovered recently Feast for Odin, which is a later Uwe Rosenberg title, which I think is a bit more generous in terms of... I mean, Agricola, I, I introduced it as Misery Farm. People sort of colloquially call it that. It's, it's a tough game. Like If you miss the opportunity to do something, that can really hurt your chances over the course of the game. Feast for Odin feels a little bit more open, feels a little bit more generous with your ability to be able to do different bits and pieces. And I really fell in love with Feast for Odin. I've played a good few games on Board Game Arena, the sort of tet- the polyonimo thing you get to do your boards, all great, really good. And 
I've revisited Agricola with Matt and Nate, and I'm playing an async game right now. And I am finding myself enjoying it a little bit more, actually, has to be said. Like, I've, I've sort of warmed to it a little bit more. I think it's still very, it's quite mean. It's that early days of worker placement games where it's just, you just kind of have to know what you're doing. There's no real opportunity for improvisation within it, I would say. Like Feast for Odin, it feels a bit more like there's a bit more opportunity to improvise a little bit and like, okay, someone's grabbed this, but I can still take this thing and and I I still have a path to what I want to do. Whereas Agricola always feels a bit more, yeah, a little bit more restrictive and quite overwhelming at first. I think the first time I played Agricola, it was an intro game and I didn't play with the cards. And the first time I played it with the cards you get a lot of cards and they all do different things and they all interact with different ways. And like with Feast for Odin, you get a couple of cards and you can get more over the course of the game, but you're not, you've not got that, that instant like amount of information just sort of thrown in your face at it. It's okay. I prefer to play Feast for Odin, I think. <laughs> or some, or, but what, what do you guys, I, I, what, what were your guys sort of impressions of it at the time and, and now in comparison to sort of modern worker placement games? Well, I'm going to... Well, I, I can't argue with you about the cards. This, this is something that, that we all spoke about when we played it. We played it on Board Game Arena, and we were all like, oh, what do all these cards do? Oh, my God, all this, all this information. I mean, how how many game. cards do you get? It's like 10 or something 14, like that? 14, 14, I think, yeah. 14, yeah. yeah. Seven yeah. seven minor improvements. And that's to say nothing of the major improvements that are in every game, that you need to kind yeah, of know those. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so I don't think anyone's going to argue with that as a flaw. Um, I don't agree i kind of agree with you when you about what you're saying about it being restrictive but not in not in the way that you're describing because sure i think that there are lots of opportunities actually that it's quite rare in agricola other than the harvest for you to need something right now if that makes sense on your turn often you can go oh god i've missed it this turn but I can just juggle things around a little bit and I'll get what I need next turn. It doesn't hurt you that badly, I, I, I think. I, I'm not sure that I, I, I buy that. What I think is it is restricted is that the game, to some extent, everybody's running on roughly the same game plan. Um, and that's a consequence of the scoring system because everyone's got to get the, 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 the wheat. Everyone's got to get a vegetable. Everyone's got to get a pig, a sheep, a, a, a cow. Everyone's got to try and get the stone house, you know, and a, and a family of five. They're all... The way that the scoring penalizes you for not having something and then suddenly gives you points for having something means you've got to have everything basically um, and that need to have everything makes it run on on kind of rails which, which is a bit of a shame i mean the, the 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 cards mix it up a lot you know how you get along those rails is varied but everyone's game ends up unfolding in roughly the same way i think which is which is unfortunate i like the meanness um, I, I am a fan of, of games where you can, you can, you can spin the nipples of other players. Um, and, uh, I, 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 I don't have a problem with that at all. You know, I think games that are, that are really open are less exciting. Agree. You say you were bored the first time you played it. This is, this is a really good example of that. When I play Agricola, I'm on the edge of my seat, often waiting to see if somebody will spot that pile of reeds that's left on that space before somebody can, you know, before my turn sure. comes, or am I going to be able to, to 
pull out the, the sequence of actions that I've got for this run. Am I going to be able to feed my family when the harvest comes? You know, yeah. maybe it's just a, it's a bit much of a, of a, of a stretch <laughs> there, but it, it's not, it's not high stakes poker, but, but it's, you know, I, I find it tense and engaging watching what other players are doing and, and, and hoping I'll be able to do what I want to do. Yeah. I mean, I, I get that a bit more now. I think the first time I played, I, I just wasn't into that genre of games that specifically that sort of like German style, quite dry, low player interaction, mostly worker placement games just didn't really engage me. I, I'm a bit more into them now. I, I can see the appeal of them and I've I've had a good time playing a lot of them over lockdown with folks on, our, on the Giant Brain Discord. And that's been a real eye opener for me. I, I wrote about it recently on, on, the, on the site, actually, about like how that, that worker placement style of game quite lends itself quite well to like async board game arena play because there is quite a lot of quite low player interaction. It really lends itself to that turn based over time kind of play. So that's, that's been a real eye-opener for me, and I found that really satisfying. Like, it's really interesting that I'm, I'm getting into those kind of games a little bit more. So yeah, the, the boredom was more not that the game is boring, just that it wasn't for me at the time. Uh, and I've, I've gone into it a little bit more later. Yeah, I, I want to give Nate to say, but I, it's just yeah, absolutely. the opportunity not to just squeeze in there. That another thing I like about Agricola is actually I think it is a lot of things. I think one of the reasons for its success is it's a lot of things to different people. So... Um, hmm. unusually for a German style game, you are doing a thing, you are building a farm and you get the feeling of building a farm. You can, you can sit back and go, look what I have made. I have made a farm and, and, and enjoy that development aspect of it, that thematic aspect of it. If you like a dramatic interactive game, there is that element of, of actually it's quite nasty if you snap some resources that somebody else needs and you've got what used to be called the eye deck. I think those cards are now in the expert deck in the new edition, which, which ups that ante a little bit more, gives you a few more routes to interfere directly with other players. And yeah, sure. and it's got the, the random seed to make the game varied and it's got a fairly heavy weight of strategy as you plan your turns out. So I think, you know, that that's a big part of its appeal is that it has something to please everybody to some extent. What's your, what's your own opinion on it, Nate? I, I got the game. I remember my first time playing it. It was when it first came out in the U.S., so summer of 2008, maybe around Gen Con Origins time. And a friend of mine bought it, and he came over, and we played a game of it, and we enjoyed it so much we set it up and played a second time, which is a, always a good litmus test for a new game. And I, yep. you know, this is really, really, you know, early in my marriage to my wife, and I, I told her, I was like, honey, we got to get this game. She's like, oh, you know, <laughs> we feel like we got a lot of games, honey. And, uh, <laughs> Um, I, I got it and I played it a bunch and Matt's exactly right. I, the thing about it is I, I think a lot of times we go into games expecting to have a certain level of, uh, this will sound kind of snotty, but a little bit of self-expression in, in how we view it to be able to say like, Hey, I did the thing the way I wanted to do it. And it's not that kind of game. It's more the kind of game where you're thinking three or four moves ahead all the time. And I'm not one who thinks three or four moves ahead naturally, but this is a game that really puts you in a spot to think, can I take this thing now or can I let it skate for another round thinking someone else isn't going to get it because it doesn't look interactive the first time you play, but as you play more and more, you really start having eyes up on the other players. Um, Especially with the, the spaces where everything accumulates. Did, did Kalos have that? Because we, we talked about Kalos as an influence on the game, but like Agricola has got these spaces where things build up and you're just like, 
do I take the three wood now or do I take the five wood next turn? You know, that, that kind of thing. Well, and there are those moments where, well, I don't need 12 wood now, but I might need but 12 I might need wood. wood. <laughs> and also, if I don't take it, Nate's going to take it and I don't right. want him to have 12 wood. Yeah, well, that's exactly it. You just, you start making those kind of decisions. And, and yeah. while you do have to have a little bit of everything, there is something really satisfying to me about looking at a completed board in this game. Mm. And I think it's just a visual thing, like especially when you have animeeples and vegemeeples and stuff, and it, it looks like a little farm. That's super cool. I mean, there's just yeah. something really, um, just really compelling about that. There's the, not, not many games let you feel like, I, I made this. You know, I, I did, even if you lost badly, you feel like, but look at this thing I made. Like, I don't know that that's just something that's always, there's like a, a, like a lizard brain thing in me that just is, is, is clicked by that. And I, I love it. So that's something sure, I've yeah. always really appreciated about this game. I, don't, I do not play it as much as I used to. Uh, and that just happens with the game after 15 years, right? You just, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you, know, you got to find people to play it with. My wife isn't super into it. She finds it too stressful. Um, I just played, actually, just after we played our game on Board Game Arena, I actually introduced my 12-year-old son to it, uh, just the family edition, so without all the cards, and he really dug it. I knew he would because it's he likes that same kind of thing. Can you tell us a little bit more about the family edition you mentioned there, Nate? Like, how does that differ from the core game? Yeah, that's a, that's a good springboard. So, it, you know, not to not to unpack the rules too much, but in Agricola, you have this huge hand of cards, and you're playing the full game. Seven of them are are occupations, so people who do jobs on your farm, and seven of them are minor improvements, so like technology or a building or something that you can put on your farm, and they can combo in different ways. Uh, when you play the family edition, which I believe has actually also been separated out from from the box now, it's its own release, the Agricola Family Edition, and then just the regular game. Uh, originally, that was something that was packaged in the box, and you just don't play with minor occupate with minor improvements and with occupations. You okay. just play with. It's just a straight up worker placement game. Very low luck at that point. You're you're really. It really does come down to someone who understands the system best. When I play, I'm I'm really good at the family edition because I've just played it a ton. And if you're <laughs> if you're the person who knows the game best, crush you'll your children as a curriculum. <laughs> You know, it's only, you know how it is. It's like you, you you're playing your, with your kids in a game, and it's like, well, I know the game almost too well to lose on purpose. Like, <laughs> there's something kind of vexing inside you. Like, I don't want to, you know, I have to take the wood. I, I just, I couldn't not do it. Uh, on, it's that's, much that's easier. Dramatic. This, this is a game in which you have children specifically to send them out to break their nails in the fields. Come on, that's, right? That's getting into the spirit of Agricola. I mean, yeah, Agricola has that space where you wish for children, and then next turn they're out in the fields, like digging up, digging up pumpkins, exactly. or like tending the cows, or something. It's like, how old are they? One? I don't know. Yeah. Just push them out the door. Oh yeah, yeah. It's um. So yeah, I've I've played the game. I've played the game quite a bit, and I it's I used to say it was my favorite worker placement game. That's partially a function of. To, to me, it's it's kind of a limited genre if you just focus on worker placement because it's a really pretty basic mechanic it's just a it's functionally just taking turns you know yeah. i mean it's it's not a very there's not a lot of depth to it inherently but it creates a lot of interesting decisions um but you know i don't i don't i didn't need a lot of other ones but we'll talk about more later that have kind of grown on me more but this one still holds a really special place in my heart i have that very beat up 15 year old box so i've played it a bunch and really enjoy it even though it's not com really i would even say my style exactly 
It's not my style either, but but as I said a while ago, I think it's a game that has a lot of, of wide appeal. I, I curate a top 100, um, which I, I revisit every every few weeks, you know, and, and add and remove games. And Agricola's always just hung in there in, in the bottom quarter of it, I think. I still enjoy it, you know. I, I still have a good time with it. I, I think one thing that I did want to mention, because we were talking about it when we played, is that the final turns, the final turns of Agricola are interesting because they're very tight, um, and Very. you kind of feel that that you can almost predict what people are going to do, but the cards always give you some um, element of surprise. Uh, it's not like, uh, and we're going to discuss this in another episode, I think, hopefully, uh, down the line, with Power Grid. Power Grid is a game where you can tell what everybody is going to do a turn or two before the game ends. You, you can almost play it out in your head. Um, and Agricola isn't like that. Uh, you, you know, th- th- there can be some swings in the last turn. There can be some surprises. Uh, even though you've got a plan in your head, it may not be that everybody else can see the plan in your head. Yeah, it's really helped by the the way the game works. It, it brings out a new action every round. And the actions that come out in the last couple rounds are just the kind of things where you're like, whoa, that's on the board now. Now I can grow my family without room in my house, or I can renovate and build fences at the same time. And I really need to do both of those things. The last round of Agricola is where you suddenly become very aware of every mistake you've made in the game up until that point. Past you has made some terrible, terrible mistakes. Right. It can it can be kind of a subtle game in that sense where it seemed like, oh, it wasn't a big deal to take all this clay at the time. But now I'm like, wow, I really wish I'd taken stone. And it, you just have to do the best you can. It can it can get a little bean county if I you know be, you're counting sure. beans to make sure you can squeeze another point or two out. If I can harken back to Bonanza about counting beans, <laughs> no, no, uh, there are no beans in this game. It's vegetables and, and wheat. There are there. There's little games of Bonanza on the houses. <laughs> there are little games of Bonanza, and if you build the nice house, the stone house for wealthy people who can buy an eighty dollar euro game. There's games of Agricola in the stone houses, at least in the first edition. Maybe maybe this new lost generation will never experience that, but that that was in the first edition. So I want to say there is definitely bean counting, literal bean counting. I, I, an Easter egg to look out for there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let, let's move on from our critical impressions where in the modern era board games you know the golden age of board games so many things coming out now there's thousands of games released each year what influence do you think that agricola still has over their sort of modern hobby game matt has the really provocative statement for this one. Oh, okay oh, we're going to go straight into that are we okay so yeah so when we played this game uh toward the end of it i made the statement that that much as i love agricola it, it is a game that, that ruined modern gaming for me um, and, and I'm going to stand by that. Um, it didn't literally ruin modern gaming, but it, it ruined Euro-style games for me because I'm sorry to like you know to, to to sort of like you know yuck somebody else's yum, but the the things that came after Agricola that you've been talking about, uh, Ian, things like Feast for Odin and uh, and Le Havre, I hate. I hate with a burning and bright passion. Really? Um, because yes, because those. That diversification of worker placement into into what we now, I guess, call point salad games is just a spreadsheet. Those games look and play and feel to me like spreadsheets. 
they don't have that charm that Agricola does. They don't have that tightness. They don't have that, hey, look, there's little little Agricola copies of Agricola on the stone house. They don't have that joy that you get from watching other people having to literally go out and beg on the streets, you know, for, 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 uh, for, for if you run out of food. They don't have that thematic element of building a farm that we've all said we like so much. It's just about pushing two resources in, pulling three resources out. And I see in my head, I don't know if this is reality, I mean, you know, I'm not a game designer, but in my head, I trace that back, that explosion of, of resource trading started with Agricola. It's relatively constrained in Agricola, but again, you can see it in that, in that palette of the score sheet. You count up your cows, you count up your, your pigs, you count up your each sheep, you count up your wheat, you count you do all that sort of stuff. It's like there's all these different things that can score you points or get you penalties. And everyone went, wow, that's really cool. We've, we've got a, all these different things to juggle. So designers go, yeah, let's just throw more and more stuff in. Let's just throw more and more columns into that spreadsheet, more and more rows, um, until it becomes all about the spreadsheet and not about building a farm anymore. I, I would... I would defend Feast for Rome because I really, really like it. I think it's I think it's a great game. However, I did play Teotihuacan recently, which is from Board and Dice Games. And I did like so and it's a sort of they produce quite a lot of these sort of German style games with which are the sort of spreadsheet design. And I one hundred percent agree with you about that. Cause I played Teotihuacan and we got through about I think about half a game before I had to give up. Cause I was just I was just moving dice around a thing and like ticking the columns and making the points happen, but I felt literally no thematic connection to the thing that was going on at all. It was just, I, mean, I was just like putting points in columns and every time like I was playing on board game arena and every time it like popped up with like, Hey, it's your turn to play. I was like, do I have to, I'd rather <laughs> not. <laughs> I'd much rather not do the, the thing that I'm meant to be doing. Sorry. But I, I think for, for, for me, Feast Froden feels like I, I quite like a game where I can like improvise a little bit more and like from turn to turn. I know you think like Agricola has that a bit, and I kind of agree and to an extent. Having played it a little bit more recently, it definitely has a bit of that. But I think Feast Froden has that a bit more for me, where I can like look at different paths to victory and like if someone takes the thing I'm looking for, I can I can go a different way, and it feels just a little bit more open, which I which I which I really like. Yeah, there's obviously a degree of taste here. Just to mention a completely different mm. thing, I, I really sure. don't like Go. Um, I, I dislike Go, uh, and I admire it. It's an extraordinary piece of design. Go boards are lovely. I have attempted to get into Go several times, and I can remember being at a Glow club and playing against some some veteran there and losing very badly, as I always do when I play Go, uh, and talking to him about, about why I don't, warm to it and the key reason is because you are sat there with however many what is it nine by nine i can't remember now it's more than that it's 18 by 18 18 by 18. You, 18 by 18 yeah places can you move on your first turn All right it's it, it's that no, that board here though <laughs> okay very good I, yeah, I, 18 by 18. I played um, about three games in this board or about 15 years i have to say this isn't like an impressive <laughs> thing i'm holding here is that from a personal point of view, I actually, I suppose what I'm saying is I actually quite like being on rails. I, I, I quite yeah. like limited rails. I don't like games that just go, here's a load of options, pick one. Sure. Yeah. And I like games that start narrow and expand. 
Yeah. Uh, and and Agricola is very much that kind of game. And and I but I I think it 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 opened the floodgates, as I said, into games that just throw everything at you in one go and have all these varied resources, point salads, you know, whatnot. You know, Matt, you make a really good point there. I now some of the games you mentioned, like I've played a, a fair bit of Lahav. I I kind of like it. I owned it for a while. It 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 went out in one call. But you're exactly right. Like it is this kind of game. There's not a lot of luck to it. There's no like initial card draw or something. The buildings you need to use come out. But when the game doesn't have like those cards, it doesn't have the um the pressure to feed your family in the same way so there's i mean it's there you have to feed people but it's just not nearly as tight and because of that there's it's way more prone to one guy knowing the game super duper well and kicking everyone's butt and that's you know some people are really into that there are some games i think are really fun when everyone is about the same skill level Sure. Like that's how I feel about Puerto Rico. I like Puerto Rico, you know, colonialism aside, it's a it's a really cool game, but it's no fun if one person knows the game super well. Worth knowing that that's about to get a new edition that's sort it of is. dealing with some of the colonial issues that are in that game. Maybe that should be a future a future episode. I don't know. Oh, indeed. Yeah. Yeah, it's that'd be a good one. So the other thing it really it it, it really promoted scale in Euro games in, in a way that just we've never cut we're only starting to recover from now it but by scale i mean the amount of stuff to do in that box was extraordinary like that's and and i think that kind of i don't know maybe this is something that also kind of ruined gaming but it made this expectation for a box to have content for it to just have stacks and stacks of stuff so much replayability right this this idea i need to have all this stuff and you don't really need all those cards. Like if you bought the new edition of Agricola for four players with a hundred cards, you'd probably have all you'll ever need. You know, for that's, sure. that's you, you, you'd get as much out of it as I've gotten out of it over 15 years at least. And so, you know, it made this expectation the game can be really sprawling, take up all the table. It also made an expectation it's okay for heavy Euro games to be long. And I think this is something that I'm not okay with. This is a bad legacy to me. A game of several years after Agricola came out, I reviewed Terra Mystica, which is, I think, up there in the BGG rankings. And Terra Mystica, to me, that game's like a headache in a box to me. It's just, it's <laughs> so, it's exhausting the amount of strategy I had to think. It's just, it's really not my kind of thing. And it is long. Boy, that game just keeps on going. And before that was not, the Euro games were always known for keeping it really tight. You know, they they would play in an hour, hour and a half. Power Grid played in two hours reliably, and that felt like that's the upper limit. Or Age of Steam would play in about the same amount of time. Sure. And, it, and after Agricola, it's like, oh, the game might take three hours. We put a six player in the box. It'll take three and a half hours. It's like, oh, man. That's like, that was the whole thing Euro games had going for them. And when you make a, an intense game that's like a strategically intense game that takes an hour, hey, that's no problem. But a strategically intense game that takes three? Ugh. No thanks. You know, I got I got other games I'd rather play in that amount of time. I mean, do you, do you think it gave rise to like so the word replayability gets banded around in board game criticism and and board game community quite a lot. Do you think it gave sort of rise to that idea that like Agricola's quite self-contained. There's a lot of replayability in that box. Like I reviewed Spirit Island not too long ago, which is a cooperative game, and that's got that game is crazy value for money like it's a huge amount of replayability in that box but these days it feels like replayability a lot is like 
tied to expansions or like extra con- uh, extra content outside of the core box? Do you think it sort of gave rise to that? It probably didn't hurt. I I think if there's any game I could I could lay that particular phenomenon at the feet of, I would say it's probably Dominion, which yeah. Dominion okay. completely rewrote how we think about expansions. And that came out a year later. So, you know, I, I, I think that's it definitely fed into it, though, at, at the time. So I, I, I think there's maybe something to that. And I say this as someone who really likes the game, <laughs> you know, but you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it kind of like, you know, decrying its legacy. But I, I think it's worth considering for sure. I mean, one of the things we're trying for on this cast is not to just laud the old and crap on the new is to talk about what what these games are about like, they were big influential games and a lot of the games we'll talk about in the season of, of call of the old will be big influential games that have had some sort of impact on on the hobby but we're not just saying they're great it's to to critically anal- analyze them to actually look at them and say you know what was good what was bad what is their good influence what is their bad influence it's okay to say hey this game, like for like to use a film analogy, for instance, Lord of the Rings went came out and Hollywood was like, "Hey, three-hour films are great," but are they really? Thanks, Peter Jackson, for that. By the way, you know, just making a long film doesn't make it a good film. It's about pacing. There's all sorts of other considerations in there, but some people took away the lesson that, "Hey, Lord of the Rings is very long, therefore we can make long films. That's great." Yeah, it's it's okay to say like I love this game. However, its it, its legacy was not always positive. Yeah, I, I think it's a good point, and, and if we're going to look at it through that lens, I think it's important just to to revisit the fact that no game nowadays would would dump fourteen cards on players at the beginning of the game. No. It's no, just not a thing anybody would do, uh, and I'm surprised it wasn't tweaked a little bit in the revised edition. If I'm honest, you know, just just to get that card count down a little bit. But there we are. You know, it, it's been preserved in all its glory, and it is very hard work unless you know those cards extremely well and the flow of the game extremely well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the game I played with you and the game I'm playing now is just that's a absurd amount of options and just reading through them all. And then, like every now and again, I go back into the async game I'm playing now and going, like, did I have that card earlier? I probably did, but I didn't actually read it at the time. I didn't sort of absorb what it did. It's like, oh, I could do that. Great. Of course, the other thing I think which we, we ought to touch on, which we haven't really, is that is that you said about how worker placement is basic just turn-taking, Nate. And, and well, yeah, I'm not going to argue that. I get the point you're trying to make. As a mechanic, it's very easy to understand, and it, it's it's very representative of a certain kind of theme. It's often not used in that way, sadly, but but you know, it it also is is a good way of getting rid of things like the left-right turn-binding issue that you had in Puerto Rico. We, I mean, there was a lot of discussion about things like that in those days, you know, the, the, the idea that when you took turns sequentially on a board, um, the player playing before you had a big impact, or that, that skill level and worker placement gets away from that to some degree. But it is, Agricola, you know, Calus was popular, um, but Agricola is, is the game that put worker placement on the map. And, and now it is just this Goliath that bestrides sure. the hobby and and and, and yeah. you know they're, they're, or a certain section of the hobby and i think that can really be traced back to agricola if it hadn't been agricola it probably would have been something else but you know it was agricola uh, yeah. and and that, that was the game that captured people's imagination with what you could do with this mechanic and, and as i say i think it is a little bit of a shame that more people seem to pay attention or be inspired by the fact that it was a strategically demanding mechanic 
than looked at the possibilities opened up by the fact that actually it's a really good way of representing certain themes like farming. For sure. I mean, we've talked about Feast for Odin, which is like the sort of the third game in that trilogy, if you want. I haven't talked about the sort of middle child, Caverna. I've not played it myself. I've had it recommended to me because I've said I like Feast for Odin and I'm not as big a fan of Agricola. Have you two played that? And like, what do you think about it? I haven't played Caverna, but you're also, I mean, you're forgetting a couple other games. First of all, I mean, however Matt feels about it, Lahav definitely was kind of pitched as the original sequel. Um, <laughs> Like because it came out the next year, it was it was the follow up. It was like the big next game, um, and after that was one that I think is actually out of print now, and that's uh, at the gates of Lo Yang. And then there's also Aura and Labora. Aura and Labora was also oh, another I forgot one. about Aura and Labora. Yeah, yeah. Uva uh, Rosenberg really went all in on worker placement, and he's the, the two biggest hits he's had since Agricola are definitely Caverna and Feast for Odin. But I have actually, sadly, not played either one. I mean, if you ever want to play Feast Road and Working Marina, I'm absolutely up for that. I, I haven't played Caverna either. Uh, and I think it's interesting that neither I, Nate or I have done. Yeah, considering your love for Agricola, yeah. Exactly. Well, love is strong, a bit strong in my case, but I certainly <laughs> like it. I certainly rate it's a good game. But personally, I looked at Caverna and I thought, why would I buy another box of the same stuff? Fair enough. Because it's basically a very similar game, you know, broadly a really similar game. I don't know if that's your feeling, Nate, but but I've just never been bothered. But it's like, why would I would I bother having underground mushroom dwarf cave farms when I've got a medieval farm? Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of agree. I, I don't want to be too hard on Rosenberg for riffing on the same design ideas because I think a lot of designers have done that really well. I think I, I think Reiner Knizzi has done that really well as an example. He'll he'll go to the same well a lot and always come up with really interesting stuff. And I think, you know, I haven't played a lot of these games, but I'm sure there's really interesting stuff to recommend them individually. And you'd like one if you didn't like the other. But at the time, it was being compared to Agricola very strongly uh, when it came out. And a lot of people making it sound like, oh, I really like this better. But it always seemed to be because, one, it didn't have the feeding mechanic or it, it just wasn't so tight. Maybe is a better way to put it. And two, it just had more, you know, it was it was just lower luck is kind of how I understood it at the time. And it, I was just like, eh, I'm good. I it was not the kind of game I was interested in getting into at the time, you know, 2011, 2012. So I gave it a pass for that reason. I, it just it felt like I had what I wanted already. Yeah, I, I like both the luck and the tightness of Agricola. Um, you know, yeah. I think those are good things, not things to, to, to move away from. And and I would also argue that what when when. Uh, Nitzia revisits designs, he often does so from different angles. You know, you look at all the Nitzia auction games, they're all quite different, even though they involve auction yeah. guys, Caverna and Agricola, as is not having played Caverna, but my understanding is that the game flow, the central game flow, is actually quite similar between the two. Yeah, exactly. That was that was my impression at the time. What, what would you say to like sort of modern like modern hobbyists walking into a board game board game shop? Why should they pick up Agricola? Why should they care about Agricola in the modern era? From my point of view, the, it's still a good game. Okay, maybe it's a good point to remember that there can be some excitement, that there can be some value in having a, a worker placement game that is tight that does have you treading on each other's toes. You know, that 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 
is perhaps quite a novel experience for people who may have only played the more recent uh, flavors of worker placement. Um, and and the, the, it's, it's something that's an experience that's worth having in that regard. You'll still find it strategically challenging. You may find it more strategically challenging. I don't know. But having those, those seeds of luck, having that, that great attention in the game is, is perhaps something um, exciting for people to explore. Um, uh, that's my primary reason. As a secondary reason, for God's sake, this is a game we're arguing that pretty much changed gaming for better or worse. You know, this is a game that launched a thousand worker placement ships. Uh, and, and it's worth playing as a piece of gaming history. I mean, there are some games you look back on, I think, and you go, well, yeah, okay, but answer. <laughs> you know, that was a piece of gaming yeah. history. Don't think it stands up terribly well today, but uh, Agricola still does. And so you play it and enjoy it as something that's a bit different compared to the modern crop of games and play it and enjoy it to have that piece of gaming history in your in your perception. What about for yourself, Nate? I, I think you need to go in with the mindset that one, it is if you've played the other Rosenberg worker placement games, you're gonna be surprised at how 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 much he got right on the first try. Sure. And I think like a good example, you know, Matt, you were talking about turn order, which I, I facetiously said worker placement is just taking turns. But the idea that he he really kind of has the most elegant solution to turn order, which is just if you want to go first, take the first. That's an action. Take the first player token. That is so like that's so clean. And it's just such a tough choice, especially if you're picking way at the back of the turn order. And that and that just solves it. It's worth it to, you know, it's worth spending one of these hard to come by actions to be the first player. And uh, he did that right the first time. Most of the cards, I, I think the cards are actually more balanced than people let on. I, I'm not nearly as experienced as the people on Play Agricola there. But the, the, the thing is, the cards have a huge opportunity cost to get into play. They require an action. They require food, which, I mean, food's like one of the most precious things you can get. They require resources. You have to do a lot to make, to get a strong card into play. And so there can, there's been games where I just have thought, wow, I really need to have this and I can't get into play because I don't have the action. And he nailed that the first time. You need to know that it is going to be a more stressful game. Euro games don't always, unless you're Stefan Feld, who loves this sort of game. <laughs> Um, you're not going to find many games that are as where you're just kind of scrabbling for every last thing as you are in this one. And, and, and failure is quite is punished quite severely. The, the begging cards are like losing three points a piece for every food you are short, which if you have a really bad game, you could take on a lot of water. And that's really tough. And so you need to go into it kind of expecting that. But you'd be surprised at how modern it feels. Uh, for a 15-year-old game, when I when I got into the hobby, a 15-year-old game that that would have felt like it was from another era, but this one feels like it's from our era, uh, and and I think that's something that's you know aside from the historical reasons, the all that stuff is really good. Oh, and the other thing is it's a farm theme, like people who won't care about dwarves growing mushrooms in a cave or won't care about you know Vikings having a feast for Odin. I guess that's what the game is about. I don't know. Sort of. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, but people people have really liked, say, Stardew Valley. If they like Stardew yeah. Valley, they might really dig this. Now, Stardew Valley is a lot lower pressure, but, you know, yeah. people just enjoy that. And there's something just really pure and 
elemental about that that I think is just that has always really stuck with me. And so I think when people play it, they'll be like, oh, wow, this is really resonating on a like a human level more than just like a gameplay level. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. That yeah, that, 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 sort of, that sort of theme coming through because like, let's face it, a lot of hobby games they're they're in space or they're down dungeons or you know they got a sci fi fantasy thing to them. And we're starting to see more games coming out like Wingspan, we mentioned earlier, more diverse themes. And Agricola is one of the early sort of progenitors of that. Certainly, like a, a farm theme was just like not a thing that had been done before. And yeah, no. Feast Roden, yeah, Viking time in a Feast Roden, kind of, kind of the theme. Agricola, the theme is probably stronger I'll, I'll admit I, I was just going to say because I, 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 I just wanted to get this in before the end of the show I, I also love the psychological impact of those begging cards I just love that it's so crushing it's not just minus three points it's that knowledge that you've failed you've sent people out on the streets in the winter in the cold and the mud to beg because you weren't good enough <laughs> I really I really do enjoy that about Agricola I, I think that's great and, and um yeah, uh, the, the theme does come across, and I think it's it's also worth mentioning to, to go going back on that that before Agricola, a lot of Euro games. I mean, we mocked them for their theme. It was it was it was oh yeah, yeah or it, lack it's of just, one, you know, pretty much or lack thereof. It was you know yeah two thousand four hundred sixty third game about pleasing the prince. You know, um, uh, retreating in the Mediterranean. That's the that's the sort of regular <laughs> joke, right? It's a, exactly. it's a it's a it's a dull man pointing off in a ca- pointing off a castle. Trading in the Mediterranean. Exactly. Yeah. But Agricola proved that you could have a Euro game that had a theme and present it very well, and a different theme at that. Thanks very much for listening. Editing for the cast was done by me, Ian McAllister. The music for the cast was provided by my brother-in-law, David Dolliver, with my friend, Alistair McLeod. If you like what you've listened to, then the best way to help us out is by telling your friends about us and leave us a review and rating on your podcast host of choice. You'll also find the cast on thecultoftheold.com, where you can find writing about older games. You can follow the hosts on Twitter. I'm at the Giant Brain. Matt is at Matt Thra, that's M-A-T-T-T-H-R. Nate is at Sanaldefanso, that's S-A-N-I-L-D-E-F-A-N-S-O. You can come and chat to the team and fellow game enthusiasts on our Discord, and there'll be an invite to that in the show notes. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so through our Ko-Fi, and I'll put a link to that as well. You can send the cast an email about any of the games we covered, should cover, or anything else really at cultoftheolduk at gmail.com. Bye for now. <laughs>